So if you can remember a time in your life when you were scared. I'm not talking about the danger kind of fear. I've experienced that a, a fair bit in my life. I remember this one time Chantel and I were newly married, and we spent a couple months out in BC, and then we went down and up the Californian coast. Now, I've always liked climbing, and so I saw this cliff, and I figured even though I haven't really been trained on climbing, even though I don't have a harness or ropes, even though I'm wearing sandals, I'm going to try to climb this cliff. So thank you, Ken. I appreciate that. Um, for those of you at home, Ken just called me stupid. Um, so I got about 35 feet up the cliff, and then I got stuck. I don't know if you've ever been climbing, and all of a sudden you get stuck. Like, I couldn't go up because there weren't any good holds. I, I couldn't go down because down climbing is really, really hard, and it was a little bit of a crumb. It wasn't like a full-on cliff, but it was like a really, really steep ascent. And I was just stuck for probably about an hour and trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Chantel's probably trying to figure out how she can find a new and better husband. I, it was a scary time. So that's the kind of fear I'm not talking about. It, it does sort of relate, but I'm not talking about that type of fear today. I'm talking about the type of fear that is connected with worry. It's connected with anxious thoughts. And really, I want to look at this today. What causes this? What brings this anxiety, this fear, this worry? What causes this in our lives? Where does it come from? And Importantly, where does it lead to? Where does it bring us? What does it produce in our lives? And this is a really important question because at the base level, at the foundation of so many things in our lives can be fear. And it does not take us to where we want to go. We are in a series on James and if you haven't yet, I encourage you to open up to James, page 977, if you're using a pew Bible. And I don't know about you, but I am loving this series. We need James. We need this practicality in our lives. To James is so practical in how he presents the material that he presents. And it's so applicable to what we're doing. And I'm also really enjoying this series because if you just read the book of James as it is, it's really relevant, but taking our time looking at the words, looking at the intent of the author, looking at the whole of scripture and how it all connects, it's just, it's so relevant, eh? And so I'm really enjoying this walk through the book of James and I hope you are as well. Let's pray. Father God, we just sang about surrender. God, we surrender our thoughts, we surrender our ways, and we surrender our preferences to you. 
God, trusting that what you have is better, infinitely better than what we can try to produce on our own. God, I pray for this root of fear that may be in many of us. God, I pray that you can expose it and remove it even this morning, Lord. All this for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we are in James 1, and we're starting in verse 19. And we're going to read 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Brian talked about this last week. Every time my brothers and sisters is in the book of James, it signals a... Brian, at least? Transition. It signals a transition. So this is a subject transition. We are changing topics. And so we're now talking about something different. It can also create emphasis, especially when James adds the term, take note of this. What James is saying here is, get your pen out, get ready to underline this, because what I'm about to say is very important. My brothers and sisters, take note of this. James then begins to talk about the tongue. This is the words that we say. The words that we choose and the tone in which we use them say a lot about the condition of our heart, but they say a lot about where we are at spiritually and and all of this. So James spends a lot of time talking about the tongue. My brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. There is a trans... There's an interpretation of this that I find interesting. It's the word of God interpretation. So let's, let's sub this in. Each of you should be quick to listen to the word of God. Okay, we like that. But slow to speak the word of God. However, this interpretation doesn't really work because each of you should be slow to get angry the word of God. It just, it doesn't really work that way. So what is James trying to get at? It's wisdom literature. We've talked about this a bunch of times, and I love it. The book of James is essentially Proverbs of the New Testament, but where Proverbs is written more or less in poem form, the book of James is written in letter form. So in letter form, he's telling us some really solid wisdom. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. This actually connects really well with the book of Proverbs, and we see this in Proverbs 17.28. It's going to be on the screen. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. I had a grumpy morning on Thursday. I don't know why. I was just grumpy. And I was talking to Chantel on the phone, 
and Chantal was trying to ask me why I was so grumpy. Now, what is the wisest thing for me to do in this case? It's just to say nothing, just to keep silent, right? There's, there's no good that's going to come from anything that I'm going to say because I'm grumpy. But you thought, wise if you keep silent. A, a much better example could be my Uncle Peter. Uh, my Uncle Peter is thought of by most of my family to be very wise. And a lot of times at a family gathering, they would walk, we would be on the way home and they'd be talking about how wise Uncle Peter is. And I'm like, what are you talking about? All he does is he just sits there and doesn't say anything. <laughs> but it's, tr- it's true, though. If you just sit there pensively thinking, people will think that you're wise. Now, there's, there's more to it than this because Peter would speak, and he, he would share things. But when did he talk? He didn't talk like how I do. I'm, I'm, I'm learning and I'm growing in this, but I'm usually the first person to offer my opinion or my view. Again, I'm, I'm trying to get better at this. But Peter, when he would share, he would share after everyone else has shared their perspective, and then he would find a way to combine all of these different opinions in a way that was fresh, in a way that offered a new opinion and was very balanced. Well, that sounds a lot like wisdom, doesn't it? But it's because he is being quick to listen. It's because he is being slow to speak. And so we can see wisdom moving in that way, but what about being slow to anger? Fun enough, the verse before has some pretty good insight on that. Proverbs 17, 27. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Okay, let's go back into our minds to a time where we had a misunderstanding with a friend or a family member. Maybe it turned into a fight, maybe it turned into a rift, maybe it turned into something negative, but it started with a misunderstanding. From there, tempers began to rise. It's because we drew a thought bubble over their head. We assumed their intention. And what happens when we assume people's intentions? we usually assume incorrectly. So if we are, if we avoid the wisdom of the Bible and we are quick to speak and slow to listen, then we will come at that person with accusations. We will come at them and tell them what their intentions were. And we will tell them what they did and how it hurt us. This is a misunderstanding that we have allowed to escalate. However, applying the wisdom of the Bible, if we can be slow to speak and quick to listen, and I think when we talk about speaking, it's, it's not quite including questions in there because asking questions, clarifying questions, clarifying intentions can be really important in this then we will see what they're saying is whoever has understanding is even-tempered because when you gain an understanding of the person's intention and desire, you're able to 
be more calm and not allow things to escalate in a negative way. It start, that verse starts off by saying the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. Now, knowledge can be a very interesting thing in that knowledge can take you one way or the exact other way. It can cause you to experience peace. It can cause you to experience turmoil. It depends what side of the knowledge you're focusing on. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But first, we're going to go back to James and look at verse 20, where it says, Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. This word righteousness wonderful word, I love this word, can mean one of two different things. There is the gift of righteousness, the gift that God gives us, God-given righteousness. This is Christ's righteousness, his right standing with God given to us as a gift. Wonderful, absolutely wonderful thing that we receive. We don't earn it, we receive it by grace. So there's that, And then there's also the inner working of righteousness. The inner working that leads to outward change. Following Jesus looks like something. This is what it looks like. It looks like righteousness being worked out in our lives. So which one does it mean? Let's try plugging them into the text. Human anger does not produce the gift of God that God desires. Doesn't really make sense. Human anger does not produce the evidence of God working in your life, the outward show of God working in your life that God desires, this outward change that God desires. So human anger does not produce what God desires because it stands in contrast to that. What does it produce then? What does human anger produce? What is the fruit of human anger? Well, there's violence. There's hurt feelings. There's discord of all sorts. There's a whole lot of fruit that comes out of anger. It's not what God desires. It doesn't produce anything good. But if anger is the tree, that's the fruit. But what is the root? What is the root of this? How did this tree of anger grow in the first place? The root of anger is fear. And I have a hunch that if you look at any adult or teenager that is presently very angry, if you look it in their past, you would see a lot of fear. You would see a lot of hurt in that way. You would see maybe their parents, one or both of their parents were volatile. Maybe they had food insecurity or financial insecurity. But you would see a whole lot of fear in their past. 
from there, you can grow different types of trees. James mentions anger as the one that grows out. But you could just as easily have jealousy. Jealousy grows out of fear. Hoarding, selfishness, it grows out of fear. There can be many different types of trees that grow out of the root system that is fear. But what fruit does fear produce? It produces a fruit of bitterness. Said differently, what is the effect of fear in our lives when we allow worry a place of influence in our lives? Nothing good comes of that. It seems reasonable at the time. Most of these things seem reasonable at the time that we should be in fear. But there is nothing good that comes from it. Only sin can come from worrying. I always find it encouraging when the Bible agrees with itself. And it does a lot, actually. We see James and his brother Jesus, half-brother Jesus, saying essentially the same thing in the text that we started with this morning. So if you want to turn to Matthew 6, which would be, if you have a pew Bible, 787. And while there, Jesus just addresses the root, Jesus addresses fear and worry, and James talks about the tree. He talks about the tree that is anger, how it doesn't produce. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Can any one of you, by worrying, add to your life? We know the simple answer to that is no. Worrying detracts from your life. It takes away from the quality of your life. What does get added into this? We've been talking about a lot of the negative things. And if you know me, you know I don't really like talking about negative things. I like talking about happy things. I just want to talk about Christ's righteousness all the time. And I want to talk about how we can live into this. So let's, let's switch gears at this point And let's look at what we can actually do about it. And what Jesus has to say on the positive side. I feel better already. Jesus says in verse 31... So 
don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Maybe, maybe those are some of the questions you ask. Maybe you ask questions like, how am I going to pay my next bill? Maybe you ask questions like, what do I do with this friend that seems to be upset with me? Maybe you ask some questions like, what is going to happen with my children? All very reasonable questions. For the pagans run after all of these things. Those outside of Christ, these are the things that fill their mind, they consume their minds. It's filled with all of these worries about what's going to happen in life. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He already knows. And then we love Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. There is a beautiful promise there from, from Jesus that when we seek first his kingdom, he knows our needs and he is able to meet them. So what do we do about all this? I have uh, three simple steps. It's to recognize, to recall, and to readdress. Recognize may seem overly simplistic, but it's incredibly vital that this step actually takes place. Because if you can't recognize that you're falling into fear, that you're beginning to respond out of fear, you can't change the trajectory. So recognizing that you are being fearful and acting out of that is absolutely essential. Recognize. Second step is to recall. Recall the times in your life where God has been faithful. If it's finances, remember the times that God has provided for you. Write them down. Actually write them down somewhere so that you can see them. Your memory tends to work better with things that are written down rather than just thought. If it has to do with friendships or your children or your parents or whoever it might be, recall the times in your life where God has been faithful. Write them down. Recall the promises of God. We, we just read two wonderful promises of God. We read that when we seek first the kingdom of God, all of these things will be added to us. The things that the pagans seek, the things that the world looks after, God knows our needs and he is able to meet our needs. Remember that promise that you are valuable to him. He looks after the birds, he looks after the flowers, and they're temporal. How much more valuable are you? These are promises of God. Recall the promises of God. So recognize, recall, and then readdress. Or I had another word for it earlier. That's okay. Come back at what you have to do with because we are in the world. We are still going to have stressful situations come, come at us. We're still going to have difficult times. So we have to be able to readdress them. But this time, instead of addressing them through a lens of fear, 
we can readdress them through a lens of love. We can address them through a lens of hope, of faith in a faithful God who has not let us down. You, we are, I, I can almost hear the objections when I'm saying this, when I'm talking about all these things in terms of fear and worry, because maybe we reason that they can be useful. That worry alerts my attention to what needs to be done. That's not what this is about. I, I like the quote from the movie I heard one time, I don't worry about what will happen, I put my attention to what needs to be done. It's still doing what needs to be done, but it's not allowing fear and worry a, a place of influence in your heart or in your mind. It is going at it with the trust that God is in control, that God has got you. How does this connect to the text? How does this connect, connect to being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? With this understanding comes a security. And this security is so important for how we go through the simple things of life, like conversations. When you can go through them with confidence and security, it is something happening there. I'm just too easily distracted, sorry. Okay, Jesus, help me. Okay, when, someone help me out. Right, thank you. When we're going through uh, conversations, we can go through this with the security knowing that God is with us and that God is for us. We don't need to prove ourselves as much. So one of the manifestations of fear is needing to prove ourselves in conversation. And so when we can rest in the confidence that God has for us, we can be quick to listen and desire that understanding that, we, that was talked about in the book of Proverbs. We can be slow to speak and quick to want to understand instead. It's, it's a replacement that takes place in our hearts. It is the inner working of Christ's righteousness in us that has an outward appearance, an outward show as well. It also directly connects to our anger because of this confidence. The last point I want to bring is a promise that appears over and over and over again in the Bible in, in various different forms. And it's these two, one's a command and the other one is a promise. And they appear together constantly. And the form that I'm going to share with you this morning is fear not, for I am with you. The command is fear not, but the promise is for I am with you. If fear comes from insecurity and it turns into all of these negative things and, and only leads us to sin, finding our security and our comfort in God 
is the antidote. It is the way out. Fear not, for I am with you. He is with you, and he promises to be with you, especially in hard times. God is faithful, and he is among us, and he is within us. This has to change the way that you view situations. This has to change the way that you view yourself. Following Jesus looks like something. And this God-inspired confidence that he gives us changes the way that we interact with others. It changes the way that we view ourselves in the world. Let's pray. Holy God, thank you for this promise. The promise that you see our needs, that you love us, that you care for us, that we are valuable to you. Thank you, Lord, for your righteousness that has been given to us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.